1: Hello everybody and welcome to Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Himalaya, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. Or you can always ask your smart device, like Google Home, Alexa, Siri, Play Podcast, Locked on Vikings. Tell it those words, and it'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today I have a show I'm really excited about. We're going to get real technical about some of the stuff that went on in the 28-10 uh, to 10 shellacking of the New York Giants at the Meadowlands, and the way I usually like to start this kind of like more in-depth recap episode is by just kind of like updating some of the stuff that I talked about yesterday, because usually I record that episode kind of immediately in the wake of the game, and and so there's some things that I like can't really speak to as as accurately as I wish I could, and so I like to follow up uh, at this particular juncture, and where I want to start is actually on the offensive line. Garrett Bradbury graded out really well by PFF, and on rewatch, i Actually, kind of agree. He had a nice game. Uh, there, I think was like one mistake that was like highlighted by the broadcast. But even that was the kind of pressure that like a, a good pocket manipulation could have negated. Uh, I do believe it. It ended up in a sack, but. Josh Klein also gave up the pressure on that play, and it was his guy who got the sack, so the sack was credited to him. Probably still, like, a negatively graded play, as it were, and the fact that his grade was still good in spite of that play should kind of tell you about his consistency all all throughout the rest of the game. Um, But that's really encouraging, even against poor competition, because the last time he played poor competition against the Raiders, he did, like, okay and now he actually did like good that's that's a a progression from one bad opponent to another still want to see him hold his own against somebody real he's got fletcher cox coming down the pipe but as hard as everybody's been on him and deservedly so it he deserves equal praise for when he actually does something right I also uh, undersold a couple of things yesterday that I kind of want to like highlight and emphasize a little bit more for one, Kirk Cousins. I I think I really undersold his game. I thought he actually played like really well and he executed a, I'll I'll link a a really good athletic article about just like the rhythm of Kirk Cousins and the rhythmic offense. But I thought he executed like a lot of timing concepts really, really well. It was pointed out to me in that article. I went back and looked and it it was, there was a lot of, you know, get to the top of your drop and fire the ball. And it was exactly where it's supposed to be. And that's exactly what you want to do in a, Rhythm style offense, especially against a bad defense, that's like how you secure a win against a bad defense. Not to mention, there were a couple of throws on the day that were just absolute dimes, and I'm gonna break one of those down at least uh, in in the future moments here. But there were a lot of moments where Kirk Cousins played really, really well and did a lot of the things that I kind of want to see from him. So you know, diminish, diminish it as as much as you want because, oh, it's just the Giants, but I, I think that it's worth noting that, like, hey, he was pretty good on Sunday, and hopefully he can build on that headed into a, a fairly important month of October. The other thing that I wanted to highlight was just the play of Harrison Smith. I don't think I even mentioned it yesterday, um, but he was obviously incredibly disruptive and probably belonged in that recap with A couple of almost interceptions, a a whole bunch of of pass breakups and other disruptions. The Vikings really moved him all around the formation and and really used him as kind of a Swiss Army knife uh, and and gave the rookie quarterback so many different looks with that safety on the line of scrimmage or playing in the box or just playing off or playing single high that I think it, it makes it really difficult for a young quarterback to just keep track of that, you know, every like do everything kind of player. And I think, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to, like, truly appreciate the play of guys like Harrison Smith. And I think, like, Hunter and Griffin are kind of entering this territory, too, where we're going to, like, undersell it all the time because we just start to get used to excellence. And that's, like, a really good, like, kind of nirvana to reach when you're so excellent that we're used to you being excellent. But moving on to the main topic, I kind of want to do this one moment by moment this week. In the past, with this, like, in-depth review, I've kind of just gone for, like, individual performances or particular concepts, and there are some things that I'm going to touch on, but I I think going kind of with some of the major moments of the game and just breaking them down in, like, super detail, I think it can give us a chance... Uh, uh, to learn about like how the Vikings decided to attack a game like this and probably a good preview of how they're going to decide to attack games in the future. I think it'll give us a nice little base of knowledge. And I actually want to start like right at the beginning. And I want you to think about like the narrative that, that led into this game outside of like the digs and the locker room drama and stuff, but, but like the, the on-field narrative, right? That the Vikings are going to run the ball no matter what. And they're the super run heavy team. They were the most run heavy team, even after you adjust for like game script and situation and stuff in, in, you know, play call neutral situations where it could feasibly be a pass or a run. The Vikings led the league by a huge margin in run percentage and you know, the narrative surrounding them and the way the coaches talked about it all corroborated that they wanted to be a ground and pound kind of team. And also use a bunch of play action and rollouts and stuff. And so the Giants coming into this game were obviously going to load the box and tell their linebackers, hey, they want to be a run first team. And that's kind of how defensive coordinator James Betcher like clearly prepared his linebackers because what the Vikings did coming out was went play action, play action for the first two plays for, for a, a four-yard gain on a scramble. They, the Giants actually covered the first play action really well and Kirk had nowhere to go, so he just scrambled for like four. And then the second play, uh, I have a thread of all of this film that I will link in the show notes so that if you're a visual, a visual learner, you can... Uh, follow along. If you are not, or if you're a commuter and you can't be looking at film while you're listening to this, I'll do my best to be descriptive. Uh, but you may want to go back and look at it later just to kind of familiarize yourself. But that second play, it was the first completion to Diggs, which I think is a pretty big moment for just like the, the team and its psyche as a whole. I think it was really a tone setter to go get a big chunk play to Diggs right away. Uh, was a, a really good example of how committed the giants defenders were to playing the run and i think that that was a huge mistake on new york's part and one that the vikings were very excited to take advantage of And, like, you can watch both linebackers and the safety, Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers is playing the run for a full, like, I counted it off, like, three or four, almost four seconds he's playing the run on a play-action rollout. And it's his, I believe, his assignment. I believe he's the hook on the play, which would mean that he's the guy who's supposed to be with Diggs and in the space where Diggs ends up catching the ball. There's one linebacker that actually... uh, reads the play a little bit quicker and he he actually kind of gets in the way of the throwing lane for a little while which causes uh, Cousins to have to hold the ball I guess a little longer than he probably wanted to but there was no pressure on the play so like he had the luxury of doing that and all he needed to do was wait for Diggs to clear the linebacker get a throwing lane the linebacker actually crashes down toward the quarterback trying to get a sack or at least hurry the throw and that's actually what ends up giving him the throwing lane to, to strike Diggs for a gain of like 15 or something. And so many plays throughout the game work this way, where play action sucks somebody way up and they can't get to their zone in time and then somebody like Thielen or Diggs or BC Johnson is just, like, wide open for a a huge gain in a crucial situation. And that really, really defined this game. You probably noticed on TV that they called a bunch of rollouts and got a bunch of yards on it. Well, that play action, that, that, like dedication to playing the run massive mistake on New York's part and I really think that that like defined this game but for every loser you gotta have a winner right and that is I mean credit to Stefanski and, and Kubiak and the whole Vikings staff for creating a situation that enticed New York to make such a huge mistake I mean that didn't happen in a vacuum so the, the Vikings coaches deserve just as much praise I've got a lot more breakdowns like that coming down the pipe here, but first, I want to talk to you about Blue Chew. Fellas, you gotta take your relationship seriously, and that means taking every part of your relationship seriously. Don't let yourself get washed up, and check out BlueChew.com. Blue Chew is the first chewable tablet of its kind. It has the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know exactly what you're getting into. But since it's a chewable, it kicks in twice as fast. It's that much easier and that much more convenient. When the moment's right, you don't need to sit around and wait for a pill to digest. Blue Chew is made right here in the United States and it ships directly to your door. So that means you can skip the pharmacy line, you can skip the waiting, you can skip the awkwardness. It's shipped in a nice discreet package, so there's no embarrassment. And skipping all those extra steps makes it a little cheaper too blue chew isn't just for like men of a certain age who maybe can't perform the way that they used to this is for anybody who's looking for a little bit of self-improvement so go to bluechew.com that's b-l-u-e-c-h-e-w.com enter promo code locked on when you get there and you can try it for free so what's not to like that's bluechew.com promo code locked on try it today So the next play that I want to talk about is the safety, which I I didn't really mention in very much detail yesterday because I knew I was going to want to get into it like in depth today. And what I really noticed here was that unbeknownst to the Giants, this was an eight on eight box. They had eight blockers. The Vikings had eight defenders in the block in the box. I'm not quite counting Anthony Harris. If you go watch the replay of it, Anthony Harris is kind of creeping up. I don't think he counts in the box in this particular one because the Vikings are going after a safety and I think Harris is a little bit too far back to do that. probably clean up if uh, Hilliman gets through a hole or something, but I'm not really counting him as a box defender for the purposes of why this was a safety. But to the Giants' eyes, the same thing applies to Anthony Barr and Harrison Smith while they're kind of creating their, their protection scheme. And so the way that protections often work is the center or sometimes the quarterback, it kind of depends on, on how the team is organized, will identify who the Mike linebacker is, the middle linebacker. Uh, that isn't always like Eric Kendricks, even though he's listed as the middle linebacker, you know, in the roster and stuff, it's really has more to do with like how they align. And what it does is it kind of gives everybody a, a common point to like count off. So, you know, the guy that I'm supposed to block is two to the right of the middle linebacker. And when somebody says, yeah, 54 is the mic. Okay. Well go find 54 count two to the right. All right. That's my guy. So the Giants do all that work, but they do all that work with Barr and Harrison Smith standing way back. And so they count off basically like it's eight on six instead of eight on eight which is what it ends up being so what you get is if you are eight on six you get to double team a couple of guys right you have two guys left over you get to double team some so they double team linval joseph and daniel hunter sensible choices to double team and they get it all set but here's the thing this is actually something that uh, patricia trena on twitter of locked on giants pointed out and and is really interesting to me that daniel jones has a tell he claps his hands before the ball is ever snapped, And I think that the edge rushers were taking advantage of that all day, but it also helps you disguise alignment. So this is something that Zimmer is unbelievable at. And I'm sure you've noticed it a whole bunch where the defenders will kind of stay in one spot until right before the snap. And then they suddenly move to a different place. They're just disguising what the coverage is. They're trying to screw up what the quarterback thinks is going to happen and, and screw up their read. And then at the last minute, they get into the actual spot that they're supposed to be and the quarterback has to basically change their read on the fly. They're hoping to induce a mistake with that. So for Barr and Smith, you have to basically watch the quarterback, watch for his tell, and then go creep up to the line at the last second. They're excellent at that. And the thing is, the ball's about to be snapped. So you don't have time as the center to say, oh, hey, now there's those two people, you know, change your protections. You don't have time to communicate and like do that whole process. So you just kind of have to go with what was called, even though it's wrong, because if you start freelancing, that's going to create even more chaos. It really puts the offensive line in a situation where they're just kind of gonna let a guy go and you just have to hope it turns out okay. So what ends up happening is the center and the right tackle, right tackle being Remmers, uh, both kind of end up like conflicted on the play. The center is trying to double team Linval Joseph, but they see Anthony Barr coming, so they kind of have to get, like, a hand on Anthony Barr. That's not going to be enough to stop him, and then they're that much less effective on the the double team on Linval Joseph. The same thing happens with Mike Remmers, who was going to be part of the double team on Hunter, but he actually ends up being responsible for Harrison Smith, but he can't, like, adjust his body quickly enough to get through Harrison Smith. Both Barr and Smith knife through the line with unbelievable explosiveness, and that has a huge amount to do with the play that That's just athleticism coming into play. Oh, and by the way, on the backside, Ben Gedeon crushes Evan Ingram and gets into the backfield too for good measure. So you got three guys in the backfield. Barr gets there first. He gets credited with the safety. But if Barr, you know, evaporated in the middle of the play, you'd still have Smith and Gedeon back there getting you two points. So that safety, I think, was a a wonderful combination of just like talent on defense and also Zimmer's scheme and the things that Zimmer has made his players very, very good at over all the years that they've been here. It's just a lot of stuff that's been kind of cooking over years actually paying off and turning into points. And I think this is a great example of like why that kind of stuff like can pay off. So I want to really quickly flip back to the offense and then uh, I'm going to wrap this up with a couple of of in-depth touchdown discussions because uh, both plays were really cool. But real quick, a lot of the reason that there were so many explosive run plays, I haven't gotten down to breaking them all down yet, but I have the uh, explosive run play thread. I'll link it in the show notes. Hopefully there'll be something new on it for you. I have eight plays to break down from this game that I count as Explosive runs. And I'm, I'm casting a really wide net just for the purpose of getting more plays to, to break down. Uh, I'm counting them as anything that's 10 plus yards or a touchdown, and it has to be a successful play. So there was actually one, it was a 10 yard run on third and 20. That one doesn't count because like, whatever, right? It was just a give up play to Amir Abdullah. That's not really part of what we're examining here. And eventually I might actually start throwing out scrambles too, because they kind of tend to not really be what we're trying to look for. And it's not like there's going to be a lot of design QB runs with Kirk Cousins. But the Giants actually did, like, align a lot more defenders in the box than we had seen, like, pre-Chicago game from, like, the Raiders or Falcons. But what ended up happening here was once the rollout started to really shred the Giants, all those linebackers started second-guessing themselves, and it seemed like they were really good at guessing wrong. You know, they they seemed really, like to struggle reading the way that the Vikings were using boot action and run action to just kind of like sow seeds of doubt into the, the reads and the keys of, of the Giants linebackers. And it seemed like they were always pulling themselves out of position. There's one particularly hilarious example... It was a big run to Alexander Madison, I believe, in, like, the second quarter, and you can actually see the the middle linebacker, uh, number 55 on the Giants, his name is escaping me, but you can see him actually get into the right gap, and and the run goes directly into the gap that he's supposed to be assigned to, and then one of the tight ends, Rudolph or Irv Smith, I couldn't quite uh, notch it, but he leaks out as as if he's going to run a a flat route, and maybe that's either, like, some kind of RPO or, like, some sort of, like, uh, alert or it's just there specifically to be a, a deceptive motion. Either way, the linebacker totally bites on it, and lit- you can see him like running away from the actual play. It looks hilarious, but it's really just a, a mark of deception. And ultimately, whatever you want to chalk deception up to, whether it's because they had run the ball so much and that the run is, like, quote-unquote established, if you're a believer in that, or whether you just think the Vikings performatively were very good at selling the fakes, that's usually the camp that I fall into, uh, and I think the Vikings have been good at that for a long time. Uh, The the play action worked, and the pass action worked a bunch, too, on run plays, which I, I have never seen, like, this dramatic of an example of players like playing the pass instead and then it allowing explosive runs this is again something that you're not really supposed to be able to generate and yet here in all three of the vikings wins they've been able to generate a ton of explosive plays This, of course, brings up the question of sustainability and stuff, but I'm trying to be a little bit more technical in this episode. I've talked about that at length in previous shows, so I'll kind of table it for now. But the point remains that a lot of those run plays were kind of lifted by, you know, a box that maybe was 6-on-6 or 7-on-7 suddenly becoming 6-on-5 or 7-on-6 because uh, a linebacker or a cornerback did the wrong thing and took himself out of the play. Now, if you listened to this show leading up to the game, you may have had pretty good reason to lay down a little bit of money on the Vikings and you would have been correct to do so. I know I did, and I used my bookie. My bookie is the number one online sports book and was good reason. Their website's great. It's super easy to sign up, get started, and navigate to the bets that you want to make. And I mean, come on, you guys are smart. You know what's going to happen in these games. Why not lay down a buck on it and put your money where your mouth is? You can find all the classics like parlays, over-unders, spreads, all that stuff. You can also find a huge library of prop bets. And it's not just the NFL. It's the NBA, MLB playoffs are going on right now, MMA fights, and way more. So go to mybookie.ag right now. It's mybookie.ag. And if you sign up and enter promo code LOCKED ON right when you make your first deposit, MyBookie will double it. That's free gambling money. So go to mybookie.ag. You bet, you win, and they pay. All right, so let's wrap the day up with a couple of touchdowns. Uh, These are both the touchdowns to Adam Thielen, and there's a lot to like in both of them. So the first one, the, uh, the corner route that was thrown over, I think it was DeAndre Baker and coverage on both actually, was some like really classic like offensive scheme versus defensive coverage kind of reading stuff going on there. And I think that it gives us a great opportunity to just kind of familiarize ourselves with a couple of stable concepts in the NFL. So what the Giants were running was cover one, and, and there's a bunch of ways that you can tell this, and I think this is uh, a really good way to kind of think alongside the quarterback while you're like breaking down these plays, because this is the thought process that Kirk Cousins is doing pre-snap as well. So the first thing you look at is what, what's up with the safeties, right? And in this case, the safety is single high. That means that there's one safety way deep and you see that all the time. And that means one of two coverages, right? Cover one or cover three. It's called a middle of the field close look, because there's a guy in the middle of the field. He can't throw there. He'll intercept it. Now, what the Vikings have dialed up on Adam Thielen's side of the field with B.C. Johnson as the outside receiver, Thielen is the slot, is what's called a a smash concept. And all smash is defined by as like one really short hitch mixed with a corner route. And the way that this is supposed to work is the hitch is supposed to kind of lure guys up to make space for the corner to work. And against man coverage, it's really nice because you basically have Adam Thielen in man co- uh, in, in like a one-on-one situation against the slot corner who's Grant Haley. Totally no match for Adam Thielen. That's who it is, not Baker. Baker, I believe, was on uh, BC Johnson for this one. So with that single high read, it could be one of two things. If it's cover one, that means you have man-on-man... Uh, versus both things. So DeAndre Baker will follow uh, B.C. Johnson on his little hitch and kind of hang out there. And then you'll have Grant Haley trying to cover Adam Thielen on a corner route, which is something you absolutely want as the quarterback. So you really want it to be that read. So if if it's zone, if it's cover three then that could pose a little bit of an issue, because the outside corner would drop deep and essentially be in perfect position to defend that corner route, and the slot corner would take the shallow route and be in perfect position to pick it off. So if you get a zone read, you might want to look to the backside of the play for what's going on there. However, there are indicators for this that you can look look, look out for, right? So the outside corner's leverage is one really good indicator for figuring out if it's man or zone. There's actually a whole bunch. If you notice the Vikings using a lot of motion, like this they'll do something stupid, like they'll, they'll bring C.J. Hamm and they'll split him out wide and then they'll motion him back into a normal fullback spot. A lot of times the reason they're doing this is because it forces the defense to kind of give away what they're doing. If there's a linebacker out there, then you know that it was man coverage because you had a linebacker split out wide. The only reason you have him do that is to cover the fullback you put out there but if it was a corner and people just kind of shift around when the motion happens, then you know it was zone. They didn't have any such shenanigans here and they didn't need them because another zone man indicator is how the corners are actually lined up and leveraged. If it's man to man, they are gonna be pretty much uh, like squared up shoulder to shoulder, dead on facing the wide receiver, which is what you see here, which tells you that it's cover one man and that your corner route is totally good to go. If the cornerback was lined up on the wide receiver's outside shoulder and maybe even angled a little bit with his back to the sideline, that tells you that it's zone coverage. Most uh, uh, zone coverage schemes nowadays have the the cornerbacks line up in a way that basically guarantees that you don't get beat to the outside. You put your back to the, to the sideline and that helps you be in better position to like outbreaking routes. Um, but it really sucks versus in-breaking routes, and the idea is that your linebackers and your safeties are kind of there to pick up any of the in-breaking routes, and you're responsible for all the out-breaking stuff. But you don't see that on this particular play. You see that the cornerbacks are all directly facing their wide receivers. You see a single high. Boom, you got cover one. That's exactly what the, the Giants are playing. And it's a super vanilla cover one defense, and you've got a, a corner route dialed up versus a slot receiver. It's a great matchup. So Kirk Cousins doesn't really need to think about this at all after the snap. Once he's like determined that that's the read, he doesn't have to audible into anything else, and all he has to do is place the ball. Now, I, I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, it probably should have been over the shoulder instead of on the back shoulder, but the way the cornerback was leveraged, back shoulder totally works fine, so that's a nitpick of anything. And it's a touchdown against a defense that was pretty much doomed by the time that they aligned, assuming that Kirk Cousins read it. The same way that you can in slow motion when you pause and you look at it forever because I'm not nearly as fast as he is. I I really like that play because it's a lot of very staple stuff going on and it's a really nice example of just kind of like how if you know exactly what to look for, you can figure out exactly what the defense is, is trying to do before they even do it. And the quarterbacks in the NFL are really, really good at that. So he knew exactly where he had to go right off the bat. The second touchdown also to Thielen was another one of those play action examples. And the play action basically breaks the coverage wide open. All of the linebackers that are supposed to kind of pick up uh, the—it's, I believe, a post-crosser, kind of a a Mills-esque concept between Diggs and Thielen— uh, and, and all of the linebackers that are supposed to kind of guard the underneath portions of that route suck way in toward the play action. And it totally breaks the coverage wide open. Honestly, I think Kirk Cousins could have gone to either Diggs or Thielen for a touchdown here. Uh, but what happens is Janoris Jenkins, who's supposed to actually, I, I think he's supposed to like either double or take like a deep middle type zone kind of hard to tell because so many of the other players are out of position. It's hard for me to figure out what the coverage is, although I'm sure somebody smarter than me could. But essentially what you get is Adam Thielen running a post with really good leverage against DeAndre Baker. You have Janoris Jenkins, who's supposed to sink really deep and essentially take that exact throw away, but he doesn't sink deep enough and Kirk Cousins can actually thread it in there, but it requires this like absolutely perfect throw because there's also another defensive back that's trying to bat it down kind of near the line of scrimmage. So you have to lob it over that guy, over Janoris Jenkins, and still get it within catchable range for Adam Thielen, who has a cornerback draped all over him. Now, DeAndre Baker does a really poor job at the catch point, but I don't even know if it would have mattered because this ball is placed perfectly, and Adam Thielen, while falling down and essentially being tripped, takes this this ball right at his face mask a really hard uh spot to catch the ball catches it brings it in gets both knees down and it's an easy touchdown i think the execution on that play whereas the last touchdown i think was a lot more of like a scheme success and more of like a play calling success or at least like a pre-snap read success by cousins to you know no, to stick with the call and, and kind of like be confident that, all right, the way that they're aligned, this is totally going to work. This was more of an execution thing where the, the play action fake did its job. The receiver did his job to get just enough space. The quarterback did his job to, to, you know, thread the needle and really drop it in the only place the ball could have been. And it was really just kind of a, a play that was like so well executed that it would have taken, you know, perfection on the other side of the ball for them to defend it. It was basically indefensible, and that's really awesome to see. So again, you can see all of those plays in the thread in the show notes. I'll, I'll link it all for you so that you can follow along if you want to, or if you just want to like go look afterwards and kind of like familiarize yourself and see what I'm talking about. I think that it would really help. At least for me, it would. I'm a visual guy, kind of guy, and in the future and in the rest of the week, I'll probably kind of pick away at all the explosive runs. The Vikings kind of made a lot of them, I got a lot of work to do, so I'm gonna pick at it over time. And hopefully, with any luck, I can continue that throughout the whole season, you'll have every explosive run broken down in one nice convenient place. But that is going to do it for this episode of Locked On Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and listening to a more technical episode. Uh, tomorrow we have Crossover Wednesday with Locked On Eagles, and we're gonna we're gonna move on to Philadelphia and previewing them for the rest of the week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow for Crossover Wednesday, and as always. Skull. Hey, Lockdown Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Lockdown Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Lockdown Wild in your favorite
0: podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.